Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When a show grows as big as Doctor Who, there's always going to be the chance that various myths, legends, and outright rubbish surface from the fan base. Some are true, some could be adapted into the canon, and some are complete wank. But even then, not every single fan theory, myth, legend, or whatever is actually canonical. Sometimes some of these stories come from behind the scenes of the show. From aborted story arcs to production problems, Doctor Who is rife with urban legends, myths, and basically gossip. So let's take a deep dive into some of the most prolific and also kind of weird stories from Doctor Who. My name is Rich, welcome to Who Culture, and these are 10 notorious Doctor Who urban legends. Number 10, the time of the Doctor was originally gonna be stretched into series eight. Matt Smith's regeneration story, The Time of the Doctor, tries to do a million things at once, and while fans loved it, there were a few that thought it was a bit overstuffed. Whenever this criticism is brought up, fans usually mention the fact that apparently Stephen Moffat planned to do another series of Matt Smith after Series 7. Similar to The Sixth Doctor's The Trial of a Time Lord, this would have stretched The Siege of Trenzalore into an entire series. But here's the thing. Matt Smith had always said he was going to be leaving Doctor Who after the 50th anniversary, and apparently Moffat was going to as well. Now you'd think this rumour might have legs because I've already mentioned the fact that people thought this episode was so crammed full because originally it was an entire series, but the thought of Moffat taking an entire series arc and stuffing it into one episode, as much as he does like to wrap things up quickly, that's a bit of a stretch. Number 9, the three series rule. Since the 2005 revival, excluding Christopher Eccleston, which you should never ever do, I'll say that every time he comes up in conversation, each of the Doctors, excluding Jodie Whittaker as well because she's currently incumbent, have had three seasons. Admittedly, David Tennant did get four specials, but they just sort of exist. They're not really a series, they're just the specials. This has led to a myth within fan circles that the BBC have a three-series rule, that each of these new Doctors will get three series, and that's it. While we don't know exactly what happens behind closed doors at the BBC, this is most likely just a legend. One of the biggest pieces of evidence for this is the fact that David Tennant almost did stay on for series five into the first series of the Moffat era. And also, if you look back to the classic series, John Pertwee and Tom Baker both stayed for more than three seasons, Tom Baker especially, a lot longer. But Patrick Troughton did tell his producer that three series was his limit, so that's probably where this myth came from. This isn't a concrete rule, but as seen by the last three Doctors prior to Jodie, they've all stuck to it, mainly because three seasons does seem like a pretty good amount of time. If this rule were real, then Jodie would be regenerating at the end of series 13. It could happen. We don't know yet. 
Number 8. River Song's name came from a dirty joke. One of the best things about New Who is the fact that the last two showrunners, Stephen Moffat and Russell T Davies, are both big super nerds of the show. So is Chibnall, but yeah, let's just ignore him for a minute. Back when they were both working on the show, i.e. when Russell T Davies was the showrunner and Moffat was contributing episodes, they would try and put rude acronyms in their titles just to wind people up on the internet. At one point, Moffat suggested a River Song ending, mainly because that spells arse as an acronym. Davies quizzed him on what River Song meant, and Moffat apparently said, I'll just name a character that. My watch has just pinged saying, you're exercising mate, keep going! <laughs> How wrong you are. Of course he eventually did, but none of her episodes got a rude acronym title. If all of this sounds completely ridiculous and you think I'm lying, you're an idiot, because this is 100% true, and do you know why? Because Stephen Moffat confirmed it himself. You're welcome. Number 7. The Daleks couldn't levitate until 2005. Daleks are often mocked by Who fans because they can be so dangerous and yet you jump up some stairs and they're a bit stuffed. Captain Prick Adam Mitchell made a big deal about this back in 2005's Dalek, to which the Dalek then rose up and killed that woman and then, you know, chased them down in underneath Van Staten's base, etc. Nicely done, Adam, you prick. So when everyone collectively lost most of their bowel contents when this Dalek first levitated, lots of people and outlaws were saying this is the first time we've seen a Dalek fly. A Dalek flew upstairs in part one of Remembrance of the Daleks, which aired all the way back in 1988. I'm a huge fan of that episode, or that story. I've said this multiple times, and the fact that it gets ignored, hence why I'm a bit spicy about this whole Dalek flies for the first time in 2005 thing, it's not true. Don't skip nine, don't skip Remembrance of the Daleks. So yeah, if anyone does say to you that they first flew in 2005, you have my permission to slap them across the face with a copy of Remembrance of the Daleks. Number six, the show was nearly cancelled after David Tennant left. Remember how I've already said that David Tennant nearly stayed on for series five? Obviously, he didn't, and the BBC were genuinely concerned about it. 1989 is the year Classic Who went off air, and many people say that was the only time Doctor Who was in danger of being cancelled. Actually, 2010, it came close again. The 10th Doctor era of the show is very close to many fans' hearts, and the BBC knew this. With Tennant leaving, they weren't sure that the show could genuinely continue with a new person. So they almost canned it. Seriously. But thanks to Russell T Davies, the outgoing showrunner, he persisted to the BBC that they really should continue with the show. Matt Smith was cast, and arguably Doctor Who got way bigger because it just blew up in the States with Matt Smith. Not really sure why, it just did. Number five, the Cartmel master plan was going to ruin the Doctor's character. The mythical Cartmel master plan, a phrase devised by the Who fandom, was referring to a plan by scriptwriter at the time, Andrew Cartmel. Come the series supposedly to air in 1990 with the seventh Doctor and Ace, it was going to be revealed that the Doctor had a huge hand in forming Time Lord society. Eventually, the Doctor would have been basically a god amongst men. Also, Ace was going to become a Time Lord. Sophie Aldred's Ace is amazing, so I'm totally game for this. Of course, this didn't happen. The show was cancelled in 1989, but musings of this whole plot thread had leaked, and this would have been a big This Changes Everything twist, and a lot of the fans at the time and throughout the course of the series' sort of hiatus didn't like this idea. So in sheepishly shuffles Chris Chibnall and does this sort of thing at the end of series 12. We're back on the timeless child. You can't escape it. It's just, it's back. Though comparing the Cartmel master plan to the Timeless Child twist, apparently the Cartmel approach was gonna be a lot less explicit. It would have been little hints here and there to hint towards there being more about the Doctor rather than just, let's just write in the master monologue again saying, hey, guess what? You're like 
<laughs> Super important now! Like every one of your pissing companions most of the time. Yay! Oh, let's move on. Number four, Americans aren't allowed to write episodes. Like James Bond and Harry Potter, Doctor Who is a British institution. Though this is a show all about time and space and bog monsters and things, there is an intrinsic spine to the whole thing that is just Britain. This has resulted in a funny little thing within fan circles that apparently Americans simply aren't allowed to work on the show. Kind of like in the same way that JK Rowling pushed for no American actors to be portrayed as British characters in the Harry Potter films. And good thing she did. But the fact that non-Brits can't work on Doctor Who is simply not true. For example, Rachel Talalay, who was born in Chicago, has directed a crap ton of modern Doctor Who stories. Early this year, writer Joe Hill, who's the son of Stephen King, pitched an idea to the BBC to write an episode, and things were going back and forth. But this was all for nothing, because apparently the BBC said to him, we would never let an American write for Doctor Who, and if we did, we wouldn't start with you. Ooh. Now this of course raises the question, is Hill exaggerating, or did this actually happen? We don't know for sure, but if this is true, then... Ooh, BBC, that is not a good look. Number three, the alternate Sarah Jane Smith. It is really hard to imagine the Doctor Who universe without the late, great Elizabeth Sladen who portrayed Sarah Jane Smith. She is one of the few companions to play a big part between the classic and New Who eras, even getting her own spin-off show in the Sarah Jane adventures. But there is a huge what-if that a lot of people overlook, and that's if somebody else was cast as Sarah Jane instead of Elizabeth Sladen. British actress April Walker didn't even audition for the part, she was just outright cast, and she did work with John Pertwee for a substantial amount of time. But apparently Pertwee just didn't like working with her, so Sarah Jane was recast with Elizabeth Sladen. Simply because of how famous Sladen's Sarah Jane Smith is, and the fact we didn't know about this until 2012, people don't really make a big deal out of this. No one really seems to care. But just imagine Doctor Who without this incredible lady. Number two, the contractual obligation of the Daleks. Yep, that's the 2021 Christmas special title right there. Barely a series of Doctor Who goes by without the Daleks appearing in some form, be it in an entire episode or two episodes, or just as a brief cameo. In fact, they were so prevalent throughout the Moffat era that people thought that there was a contractual obligation between the Terry Nation estate, who apparently owned the rights to the Daleks, and the BBC, meaning they had to keep putting them in the series every series in order to keep that relationship good. However, whenever this is brought up in conversation, no one can ever seem to find any solid source to prove this is true. It is true that Terry Nation's estate own the rights to the Daleks, apparently the BBC own the design, but the actual character, the name, etc. is owned by the Terry Nation estate, hence why whenever you see any episode with the Daleks in them, the creator Terry Nation is always credited. But you can understand why people thought this was real, the Daleks did just keep coming back, and as I've said before, the Daleks in the Moffat era, they weren't that good because they kept coming back. Chris Chibnall, one of the good things he has done to the series was make the Daleks scary again in Resolution, hence why it's one of the best Dalek episodes of all time. Don't at me. But yes, they did keep coming back and people thought this whole theory of this contractual obligation was true, until Moffat himself outright said it was a lie. But is Moffat actually going to reveal some kind of thing that's probably a private matter between the BBC and the Terry Nation estate? No, but he also could be telling the truth since the Daleks didn't appear in series 11 or 12, only in a special between series 11 and 12. Debunked. Number one, regeneration was modelled on LSD trips. One of the most genius moments in television history, the idea to canonically recast the main character of a series to keep it going, was brilliant. This made Doctor Who immortal. 
well, apart from when it was cancelled in 89, but it's back now. Now, most people already know why regeneration came about. Back in the mid-60s, William Hartnell's health wasn't all that good. He was flubbing lines and just generally losing the plot on the show. It was incredibly tough on the BBC to recast William Hartnell's Doctor. But something about this that isn't that widely known is the fact that this whole sequence of regeneration was modelled on drugs. According to an internal memo back in 1966, the process of regeneration is the Doctor living back through his most painful memories, similar to being on LSD. I've never taken LSD and I cannot confirm this, but apparently... yeah. Apparently the Doctor would feel nothing but hell and dank horror. This is why I'm never taking LSD. Now, there is absolutely no surprise as to why Colin Baker refused to film his regeneration, and I can completely understand why David Tennant didn't want to go. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.